Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. If you're new with us, we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This year, moving through the Old Testament, and we share a whole bunch of things that we think uh, you don't want to miss. Clever. As we go through. Right. Super clever name. (laughs) Um, We are super excited about our um, lesson today. I think this might be one of the most important lessons we'll do (laughs) the whole year. Yeah. It is. Does it match up? I hope it matches up with one of those Sunday school weeks. Because you know how, like, sometimes you oh, get off on yes. the weeks and you're like, listen, should every bishop in the world just do two Sunday schools <laughs> for this month? Because this don't really miss this is, one. yeah, this one is like, I think it's foundational to understanding our unique place in the Christian world. That's like, so true. Right? It's like, mm-hmm. wait, what makes the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints different? What's their different commission? What's the different role that they play? Um, because we're not the only ones playing a role in like in in the great work God's doing in the world. So like what unique contribution do we have? And I think this is the this is the spot so to true. really do that. So we're super excited about doing the lesson and all the um, things that will come with it. If you don't know about this, this is a timeline that you can get. You can download for free at don'tmissthisstudy.com backslash timeline. And we just move through the whole history of, it's just a great visual to keep track of what's going on in the Old Testament. And we add a piece every week. This week, we're adding our guy, Abraham. He's got stars on his picture. We, we will get into why in just a second. And he's going to go right here in spot number seven. Now you're going to be sad, confused for a second, because you're like, wait, what goes in this? And this is a story that happens the same time as Abraham, but it doesn't show up until later in the actual Old Testament. So remember how we told you one of the things this timeline is going to do is to help you understand where the books in the Bible fit historically and and in time with each other. So this is one when we start the repeat of the Bible, this will be the first place we come. So leave this open. Don't worry about this one yet. Comes happens the same time, but ha- but comes later in the book, if that yeah. makes sense, because the book's not fully chronological. So hopefully that timeline helps you. Hopefully the videos help you. Hopefully the everything is helping the app, the dailies. Uh, we were getting so much good feedback on the dailies. How are you loving them? You can't even answer back. Just talk out loud in your car. I know, but we are we are dying to know how are you using them. Um, do your kids like them? For those of you who have kids, is it something that you're using? With devotionals in the morning, and how um, and how can we make them better? Yeah, put it on. Just, put comments on our Instagram just this know. week like, oh, as we're this, posting. These are the ones that we like. I was texting my sister about that the other day, and she was just like, "Oh, I actually love. I love them for me in the morning, and I love them to do it with the kids, like at nighttime." And so, anyways, let us know because we want to keep making those better. Those are that daily section that's on the app. If you don't know, we have an app. <laughs> you can go learn about it at don'tmissthisapp.com. Puts all of our videos and newsletters and resources all into one easy to And find a lot place. of you have asked about what happened to the Take 5 cards that we did in the newsletter. And we actually, as we were brainstorming, we just kind of wanted to elevate what was happening with those. And there was no way to make it work with the newsletter, which is actually what prompted us to start looking at an app. 
because we wanted you to be able to engage more fully. So the app allows us to do things we were not able to do with the Take Fives. But we also wanted to make sure for newsletter people, you still were getting um, something awesome every week, which is then how we invented the, the timeline. timeline. Invented. Yeah. That's so, <laughs> Created. That so awesome. Who loves, who loves this story it. of the timeline? Let's just tell this. When David and I were flying to speak at a youth conference somewhere, and we're sitting on an airplane together, and I have a piece of paper spread out, and I'm ripping out <laughs> squares of paper and trying to tape them to try and tell David, but what if we did this? And he was like, we're not doing that. <laughs> it looks way better now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks fantastic. I think it turned out Compared so good. Compared to the yeah. ripped out Once we papers. brought a designer in, <laughs> it made it so much better. Just say you wanted the ripped out papers, everybody. It'll make her feel better. Okay, let's jump into Abraham's story. This is so good. Okay, this is, we did a little bit in the book of Abraham at the beginning, but this is kind of the first time that we meet Abraham. Uh, something that you may notice as you read the book of Genesis is, from Genesis 1 up until like Genesis 12, you are flying through time. Like you are in a time machine and it is like thousands of years that you are like zipping through from creation all the way up to this. And then all of a sudden you get to Genesis and it like takes a screeching halt and it stops with this man, Abraham and his wife, Abram and Sarai. And you, and then all of a sudden the story like crawls compared to like the first part of it. And it really zooms in on this couple, right? And we learned last time in the story of Noah and Enoch and the time before that, that God made a promise to both of them. I will not give up on this human family. I will not give up on my creation. I will not give up mm -hmm. on my children. I will not do it. I will always reach out to them. And if you asked yourself this question, well, how are you going to do it? The answer comes in Genesis 12. And he's like, I will reach out through a family. I'm yeah, and you love, and we were talking about this earlier, that this, this story starts with a, a patriarchal family. That's how we're going to first watch the story. And then as we get further into the Bible, it, we're going to watch it unfold in 12 tribes. And then we're going to continue to watch it unfold with God's chosen people. And it's the same story. It is the same story playing out over and over again. But you love that right here in Genesis, we get to watch it start with this tiny family unit that right. we're going to we're going to watch it grow, but I love because it brings it home to me. It makes it applicable to me. You're going to watch this man and this woman, and we've talked about this a lot, this um, order of the family. Patriarchal order is the two of them together, right? That is going to perpetuate this covenant relationship with God that all of us want to have, but we get to watch it start right here in great detail. Right, right. And so um, let's just kind of talk about the story of Abraham and then we'll come back to this concept of the Abrahamic covenant is a phrase that you've heard a lot in, in church before. And it's just like, wait, what does that actually mean? And how is it different for them and us? And we'll get into that. But let's just introduce you to him because he has such a fun story. <laughs> um, Abraham grew up in... Um, Man, any of you who feel like you grew up in a dysfunctional family will really relate to Abraham uh, <laughs> because he really grew up in this place that was like obsessed with idolatry. And somehow, we're not really sure, he feels connected to 
um, what he calls the fathers and mothers of the past, Adam and Eve and Noah and his wife and Enoch. And, and he feels connected and he knows that he wants something different than what he currently has, you know, in, in his life. And his father, we actually, there's this apocryphal book called the book of Jasher. It's so fun. It goes through the book of Genesis, but um, apocryphal means um, writings that were written down anciently, but were not canonized in the scripture. Remember Joseph Smith um, looks at the Apocrypha and says, should I do a Joseph Smith translation of this? And the Lord says, oh, no need. People can just read it with the spirit and then they'll determine, you know, its value or whatever. So determine the value. Um, the book of Jasher and Abraham, Abraham, Abram is his name. And he's going to give a name change to Abraham. So what do you want me to call we him? We might call him both. Yeah. Okay. You'll know who we're talking about. Yeah. Same person the whole time. And if I start with Abe. You just know it's <laughs> no, him, right? And not there's calling Abe. him that. Honest Abe, come on. Like Abraham Lincoln. Different man, him, different time. Okay. I'm just saying, it's a good nickname. Um, now so, everyone's so confused when Abraham <laughs> lives. He's not the man in the white building sitting on the chair, everybody. He's in a picture. He's in, in a picture. In the Pearl of Great Price. So the book of Jasher tells the story like this, that when uh, Abraham was was bothered by his father's like idols that he had. And so one day he goes into his dad's idol room and he just takes a bat, a club to all the idols and just smashes them all in the room. And then he puts the club into the arms of the biggest idol in the room <laughs> and then leaves. And his dad comes home from work or whatever. And he's like, walks into the room. And he's like, Abraham. He's like, yeah, yeah, dad. <laughs> and he's like, what happened? And he's like, Looks like that big idol got jealous of all the little ones in the room and smashed him. And he's just like, Abraham, he is made out of stone. He can't do that. And Abraham essentially says, exactly, dad. He so, can't do anything. So why? Yeah, so why, why are you worshiping? Are you worshiping a God made out of <laughs> stone who can't talk or feel after you? Or Right. So that was his point. Anyways... The book of Jasher says that that's probably what led to what we find in the book of Abraham. <laughs> Which I'll show you a picture because you this love verse one of chapter one of Abraham more if this picture is in front of it. So in case you're on your phone um, or you read with phone scriptures, you just, you kind of want to have this as your introduction to verse one. This picture is a picture of a priest of Elkanah, one of the gods of the land that Abraham lived in. And that's Abraham on the sacrificial table. And somehow his father was actually involved in him being put under the sacrificial table, you know. And this priest is holding what looks like a feather in the picture, but it's a knife, okay? He's not there to tickle him to death. He's there to sacrifice him. And you, we read this story of him about to sacrifice him in Abraham 1 and the angel of the Lord coming and stopping it and saving, you know, Abraham's life. But if you consider the fact that it's like, oh, my dad... Kind of went into cahoots with the priest to have me sacrificed on this altar. Then when you read verse one, it's kind of like a, and you just a really love, fun verse. And here's his description of like what is happening on the other page that all of us would be like, you would not believe. And he says this. This is and there's a crocodile underneath, by yeah. the way. Yeah. There's just a full on disaster happening and, on this page. And this is how he sums it up. One verse. In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, I Abraham saw that it was needful for me to obtain 
another place of residence. <laughs> you think? <laughs> it's like, I felt like I really needed to move. And you're like, dude, <laughs> like what, what gave that away? <laughs> you know, that you need, maybe needed awesome. to move. So um, he does, he wants to find this new place, but then we get a, a peek into his heart in verse number two. And this is such a really cool verse. And it's sort of like, shows you what his character and nature is like and will set up what happens in the rest of his story. And he says, and finding that there was greater happiness and peace for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers. Here's the fill in the blanks that are on the journal right here. Someone was saying like, oh, can you be better about showing us where to fill them in? So let me try. Um, I sought for the blessings of the fathers. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Where he's like, I was seeking for and he knew of something. We don't know how he got a hold of the record, but he knew there was something of these blessings, these better. covenant blessings, right, that were found in earlier time periods. And, and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. I not only wanted those same blessings, but I also wanted the right to be able to pass them on. To other people. And you love right here that this is such an important part, I think, of a faith journey is that taking the time, this verse two moment where he's like, I, I was seeking for something greater. And we have this little square right here in the journal, and it's not going to be enough room. You might want to use the notes page to be able to fill in. But just to think about right now, at the beginning of this year, what are you seeking for and mm. uh, where is your lack and what are you hoping for right now that you might turn to God for? And we love that, that at the very beginning, we get to watch Abraham just a little bit go inside of himself and just think, this is, this is what I'm seeking for. Yeah. This is what I want. And, and we go into what Abraham wants right here from Abraham 1-2, right on the right side of the journal. Right. And you see it in the verse where he's like, I was a follower of righteousness and I had great knowledge but I wanted to be a greater follower of righteousness and possess a greater knowledge and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace. So these are titles that he's in a way of living that he's seeking for. And he's like, I was righteous. I had happiness and peace. I had knowledge. Right. I'm, wanted... I'm someone who was faithful. I lived a faithful life, but I wanted something Greater. Yeah, more. So greater, greater, greater goes in those boxes. And he says this, and to receive instructions and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir and a high priest holding the right belonging to the fathers. I had this desire and I sought for the instructions and, and the pathway to do that. And he says, and it is something that I became. He kind of sums up that whole experience in that one verse uh, And right this there. verse becomes so important to our understanding of where we're about to go next, because there is a pattern right there that um, I think sometimes we don't realize or recognize in a tangible way that he, he first came seeking. He knew he wanted something greater, right? He, he had something, but he wanted something greater. He, he wanted an elevated faith or an elevated relationship. And then we love that just that desire alone would not produce it for him. But this line, and you're going to want to mark it in your verse right here. I became, that's something he became through relationship. He became something that he wasn't already at the beginning. And that right there sums up 
this message of the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. So the rest of chapter one is kind of that story we talked about with him and the, you know, the sacrifice and everything, but that introduction verse, we're going to jump over into Abraham chapter two and link this with some of the verses in Genesis. There's a lot of, this is the same story in Abraham two, as you find in the chapters of Genesis of how did God respond to Abraham's desire for greater knowledge, greater follower of righteousness, greater happiness and peace. What, 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 what was the response? And the response was to enter into official covenant relationship with him, right? And we call that relationship and that, that covenantal relationship and that pathway of living that would lead to something greater, the Abrahamic covenant. That's, that's what we call it. And we call it that today even because it's best described in the story of Abraham. Just the blessings and the way of living in that covenant are just best described in his story. So it's been nicknamed that because it's just the spot in scripture. Yeah, if you want to understand the covenant, you want to go to Abraham's story and watch how it plays out. Right. I just clicked that button. So I just may have unpaired myself. Oh, so all right. Let me While just you're pair repairing, <laughs> repairing, that's funny. Um, I Let's just think for a minute as we go into chapter two and Abraham leaves and he's going to take Lot with him, his brother's son and his wife. And he takes his wife and, and everybody's going to go to this place. And, and while they're going, he has this vision, right? He meets Jehovah. And they're going to start talking about not just um, living in faith, but actually a relationship, a covenant relationship that is going to elevate what that living in faith looks like. Okay. So what you, this phrase, um, Abrahamic covenant, we have this spot in the journal, just to first say what some of the synonyms to that, that you might hear throughout the rest of scripture. And just so you're like connecting all of these phrases together as synonyms. It's called Abrahamic covenant. It's also called the promises to covenant Israel. Like that's a phrase we're familiar with right now. It's also called the new and everlasting covenant. In the book of Mormon, it's just called the covenant. Um, It's called the fullness of the gospel. It's also called the oath and covenant of the priesthood. These are all synonyms with each other. And what they are is a covenant relationship that leads to exaltation. That you is, could even call it the covenant of exaltation. Yeah, they right. could be called that as well. So anytime you hear words like this, fullness is also a key. If you if you see fullness anywhere, that is hinting toward this covenant relationship that we're going to learn about today. Yeah, and I think before we jump into like what the promises of that are and then kind of what the way of living in that covenant is, we just maybe should clear up a... Something that might confuse us as we talk about a covenant of exaltation or a covenant path. And I think maybe we start with just this first idea that is God wants to and will bless all of his children. Like he's just going to do that because he is a father and that's that's his intention. Um, he has blessings and grace and goodness planned and hopes that we would accept all of it, but he's not an all or nothing God, which means we get to choose. We have the dignity of choosing how much of his grace and how much of his blessings and how much of his presence that we want in our life. 
we can choose to receive those in any degree that we want to. And he would be thrilled for us to choose any degree, right? Some of those blessings and grace come as just a gift from him as a father. And some of those he has us actually claim and choose to receive, right? And so sometimes we will preach this and say this, that we are saved by grace. We are saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a, as a free gift. And is that true? true? Somebody shout amen and hallelujah, right? That (laughs) That is is good news, right? That that's the shepherds and the angels. That's the good news, right? But sometimes you hear people talk about with language like this, that this blessing is dependent on our living a righteous life, or we'll say you are eligible to receive the blessing if you live a life worthy of it. And sometimes you might get into conversations with other believers of different faiths where then it feels like we're talking about two different things because do we believe in the grace to be saved or do we believe in this blessing that is dependent upon us living a righteous life and what is actually being talked about there? And I can remember for a a good year, I started trying to think about what, what is the reality of those two concepts that are both foundational in our belief? Yeah. And how yeah. could we better understand those? And the Abrahamic covenant actually becomes the answer to that. This story of Abraham becomes our answer for, for what that is and for what that means. So the Abrahamic covenant, when we talk about it, um, when you think about it, you're going to think three Ps, right? That's the first thing people are going to think right. about. And it's going to be priesthood, a promised land, and posterity. Sometimes we're like, oh, I know the Abrahamic covenant. It's these three Ps. And then we move past it. And that was the end of the lesson. Um, sometimes we talk about um, what what comes of the covenant, what's required of us from the covenant or the path we would walk. And that would be things that were like the fullness of the gospel, the blessings of the priesthood, that it's a pattern of living, right? So we're hearing this language that we're like, okay, where does that fit now with what I know about being saved by grace? And where does that fit with this um, blessing dependent on our living a righteous life? What does that look like? And as I was doing that study, I stumbled on two words that I think it'd be awesome if we introduce them here. Yeah, yeah. Because we're going to talk about them all the way through this lesson. Um, I was doing a study on grace and I came across two Latin words that described grace. And one of the words was gratia Christi. These are in the bottom right of the journal. And you can put the definitions next to them just so you know. Gratia Christi right here. And the other word was gratia Dei. And as I dove into those, one, one kind of talked about the grace of Christ. The other one talked about a grace that comes through God. And, and I was reading these things and, and all of it is grace, right? But you start recognizing that there are degrees of grace that we might choose to enter into. And Gratia Christi, if you write right here, is a grace that heals wounds. And Gratia Day has been defined as a grace that elevates souls, And as I thought about that, I was like, oh, that's actually really awesome because that puts to words something I deeply believe, but maybe have never had a vocabulary Mm. to describe. Mm. I believe in a grace that heals wounds, but I also believe in a grace that elevates souls. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, 
Now I want to think about this grace to heal wounds comes by virtue of the cross, right? And maybe we would write, um, draw a picture of a cross. And we know that when we think about the cross, that becomes a symbol or an image of a belief that we have that um, we overcome death and sin um, through Jesus Christ by virtue of the cross. That, that is what we know to be true. And, and maybe we would just right there overcome death and sin. And um, by grace, we are saved from death and sin is something that we might say. But as we think about this elevating grace, this, this grace that would elevate a soul, all of a sudden now we're going to talk about becoming something. Remember, that's what Abraham was going to do. Um, a grace that elevates a soul would actually help you become something. And as I thought about that, I thought of another symbol of our faith that is really important to us. And that would be the temple. And it's at the um, temple that we enter into this covenant relationship. And we actually are given a pattern of living like Abraham talked about in verse two, where we can become something. And so here we become, and maybe we would say through the covenant found in the temple, Jesus elevates souls. And so we have these things working together. Um, We have both that thought of the first thing that we talked about, right? This is true by grace. We are saved. Yeah, we overcome cross, Jesus over yeah. yeah death and sin, but also would be true. There is a blessing or a covenant path that is dependent on our living a righteous life. And through choosing that path, we actually become yeah. something. And that's, that's the blessing, right? It's the path and the blessing, right? Yes. It's to become something. It's to become something. And we love that. And in, it's, it's this idea, yes. right? Right? Yeah. Of I want to be a greater follower of righteousness. I want greater happiness and peace. I want, in words that we've just used, a greater degree of the blessings and grace of God in my life. And that's going to require entering into a relationship, a covenant relationship. And with covenant relationship, when you choose to get married, there come there comes with that covenant relationship expectation and responsibility. Uh, That's how we show our love within the relationship is by meeting each other's expectations and taking responsibility for that relationship. So, and, and the expectations are really just the pattern that would lead to becoming that in the first place, right? They're not arbitrary. Yes. They're like, Oh, this is the pat. The expectations are actually the pattern of living that leads someone to becoming. Yes. And to be happy in, uh, yeah, in right. that relationship that you are hoping for, that, that you've chosen to enter into. And that is something that is unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Christians everywhere will believe in a grace that overcomes sin and death, a, a grace that leads to salvation. But one of the things that I love most about being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the understanding we have of the word that we call exaltation, this covenant relationship that allows us to become something. And that's the beauty of Abraham's story is we are going to watch this becoming process play out. 
the same way we do if we choose. If we choose to enter into this Abrahamic covenant, this covenant of exaltation, we're going to watch this same thing walk out in our own life. And if you want to see how it kind of connects to this, that God responded to that desire of Abraham for, for something more. And he used this family of Abraham to then disseminate or distribute those same blessings to the rest of the world. That's where the authority for covenant relationship was housed, mm. was in the family of Abraham and Sarah. That's where it was housed. And then it was housed in their expanded family, the children of right, Israel. Right, the 12 tribes. Right, that's where you found it. And and their responsibility was to take it everywhere, right? Um, and and you were gathering yeah, gathered into people. the tribes of Israel. Right, and what that gathered to this covenant relationship with God. When Jesus came into the world, he established kind of a new family of Israel and chose 12 disciples to match the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was almost like, oh, here's the new place where the covenants and ordinances are housed within a church organization. It just worked through a family in the Old Testament. And then in Jesus's dispensation, it was you. It was like housed inside of a church organization. And in our dispensation, we have followed that same pattern of Jesus's dispensation, right? Where it's like it's housed in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and the ordinances and the authority to enter into the Abrahamic covenant, that covenant relationship with God, are housed in the uniquely in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So and that's so, our connection. And let's with talk the about this for a little bit because other churches will talk about the Abrahamic covenant. And part of the call into that covenant is to share the gospel. And there will be churches all over that are participating in that part of this story of Abraham is sharing that gospel. And you'll hear other churches talk about um, this Abrahamic covenant. Right. But what's unique to our church is that we hold the blessings of the priesthood and the pattern of covenant living through the ordinances and covenants that we make when we enter into the temple. And it's important to remember that. I think it's so important because and we live in a time where people are questioning, what is the importance of the temple? Um, why do we have temples? What is the importance of wearing a holy garment that would become a reminder of that covenant relationship. And if we don't understand the covenant relationship, it's hard for us to understand that part of our church doctrine and the importance of, I have actually entered into a relationship of becoming, mm -hmm. of, of greater knowledge, of becoming a greater follower, of obtaining greater happiness. I made a choice to enter into that type of relationship and that choice and my faith in that choice is going to actually determine what my obedience looks like as I move forward with my life. Yeah, really well said. So that is what you're about to see here. But we just wanted to explain that every time we say Abrahamic covenant or talk about things like that, that, that you're understanding like what it is that we are actually saying. Again, God is not all or nothing right? Mm -hmm. And we can receive his blessings and grace in any degree that we would like. And if like Abraham and Sarah, we want to become something more and become something greater, he invites us into that covenant relationship that will enable that to happen.
that might not be everybody and it might not be at this certain stage of your life. But if there ever comes a time where you are seeking for becoming a priest or a priestess, becoming a minister of of righteousness in a greater way, the pathway to that, the means where Jesus can do that with us is through this covenant relationship. So we've got in the journal this list because mm. now we want to kind of talk about that covenant relationship, what it looks like and why someone might want to even enter into it. Um, in the, we've got this list that's in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13 and Abraham 1 and Abraham 2 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Those are all the chapters. You might have to rewind that and like list all those if you don't have the journal, but you can just search through those. I think this might be the spot in scripture where the promises to covenant mm-hmm. Israel are more potent yep. and more than anywhere else. And they really are so often mentioned in Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy again, because I think God wanted to keep reminding Abraham and the people, remember, this is this is what you get for entering in. And the promises are beautiful. And there's going to be more than you can even list. And you probably want to take an afternoon or maybe you're going to take a day and you're going to read through Genesis 12. And then the next day, maybe you'll read through Abraham one and then Abraham two, and then you'll go through 15 and then you'll go through 17. And your goal is to write down as many promises as you can. We're keeping track of the promises because we have a page in the journal right here where for this entire year, we are going to list the promises to covenant Israel. You will be able to go back to every single lesson and find the promises that are mentioned there. And remember when President Nelson asked us to find those in our own life, to, to recognize those in our own life. And I think that that's God's way of just reminding this is what comes when you enter into relationship with me. And you're going to want to spend time just collecting and gathering and thinking which of these. We thought it'd be fun if we shared one or two that were our favorite from yeah. the list. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, you pick You pick first. Okay, my one I want to pick is Abraham 2, verse 8, where he says this to Abraham. My name is Jehovah, and I know the end from the beginning. Therefore, and this is the part I like, my hand shall be over thee. And just the implications of what that might be. For someone who knows the end from the beginning, to have his hand over my life, you know, directing it, protecting it, um, elevating it, all the things that a hand might do. And then to go and spill into verse nine, he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to bless you above measure. Like you don't even have a ruler to see how much I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing unto your family and, and your family is going to bless like so many different people. Mm. I just, I, I love that whole concept is I'm going to make you great so that you'll have the means to make others great oh, and that's bless so good. other people. Um, and I love this and, I, and I'm going to point this out over and over again as we go through because I think it's so important to remember. We talked about this with Adam and Eve. When we said Adam, we meant both. We, and when we say God, we mean both. And we need to remember that in Abraham's story as well, that these promises, although we call it the Abrahamic covenant, that's the family of Abraham that we're talking about there. These blessings were as much Sarah's blessings as they were Abraham's. And we're reminded of that in chapter 17, verse 16, when he, he echoes for Abraham and for all of us who live today, 
this is this kind of covenant. And I love when he says this, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And I just love that from the very beginning of this patriarchal order, we're going to see within the language of God, this is this. When he's talking to the family of Abraham, he's not talking to the man of Abraham. He, he's talking to both of them. And I love that he's like, remember, Sarah is part of this covenant relationship, a crucial part, right? Abraham cannot have this relationship if he does not have Sarah, and it's important, yeah. I think, to keep remembering that these blessings are for all of us, wherever we are and whatever part we play. And, and as women, we will be blessed and we will be multiplied and we will become greater and um, very important and crucial parts of the history of the kingdom of God will happen because of the role we will play in the covenant relationship. And I love that reminder. Yeah, so awesome. And it's also cool to just think and consider for a second. We begin to enter into the covenant relationship, the Abrahamic covenant, and start to claim the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant at baptism. And we do that individually first, right? Uh, and then through the temple, individually Eventually, though, we have the opportunity, either in this life or the next, to claim even greater blessings, the fullness of the blessings yeah, the of crowning. the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. But that can only happen together, you know? And that happens in sealing rooms of, of temples. And I just think it's cool maybe to point out right here, just to say, you know, for those who are familiar, you know, with, you know, the sealing ordinance, that there might be, there are phrases within mm -hmm. that that will re remind you of, of these blessings. And if you hear ever in any place the phrase, the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you would want to come back to Genesis 12, Abraham 1 and 2, Genesis 13, 15, and 17, and like list, and then the rest of the Old Testament as we go through, the, yeah. those, the fullness of them yep. happen together. Yep, and, the, and those blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jake, Jacob are what we're going to be capturing on these pages within the journal. So that instead of that just being a, a phrase, all of a sudden that's going to become really tangible to you, that you're going to be like, oh, I know what those are. And those are blessings we'll be talking about here and writing in the journal, but you can find those in our newsletter. And also the app has will have a really lengthy document of all of those blessings. In the daily section. In the, those are in the daily, daily section. section. Now, when you hear people summarize the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, they're going to summarize them in the three P's. Um, and that's how people kind of remember, oh, these are the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. They are promised land, posterity, and Priesthood. Uh, priesthood, which means the gospel covenants. That's what that means, like access to the gospel ordinances and covenants, right? Um, so those three Ps really kind of tell you the end of it. You know, like essentially posterity that numbers the stars of the heavens. Only our heavenly parents have that many kids. It's mm. code language for <laughs> exaltation. Promised land is code language for celestial kingdom. Even though they'll have an mm -hmm. earthly, you know, and then power of godliness is, you know, those are code names for that. The only, I love those. Those are great to see like, oh, the Abrahamic covenant means the blessings of exaltation. But I love that in these chapters, as we read through, that it also talks about the blessings of the journey, mm -hmm. right? And the blessings of the power of God and grace in the actual journey to yeah, becoming. Yeah, that's so good. Because know? that blessing begins 
the moment you enter into the covenant. It's not something you're waiting right, for right. at the end. It, you those can begin, experience the yeah. greater measure of it now. And I think it's important too, while we're talking about that, to talk about this concept, because sometimes we talk about exaltation as this thing we are going to receive at the end. And, and I think it's important to think about this. The promise that is given to Abraham was to become something not to receive something. Mm, so mm. the promise was to become exalted, not to receive exaltation, that it was going to be a becoming process. And he was going to be exalted every step of the way. That's why the pattern of living that comes from the ordinances and the covenants we make in the temple becomes so important because you are experiencing exaltation every step of the way yeah. as you enter in. And I yeah. think that's important for us to remember as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is we're not earning an outcome. We're actually becoming exalted. That's what we're doing here. And what a beautiful concept. Yeah. And I would almost say like enjoying exaltation mm -hmm. along the way. Like it's not meant to be like, oh, gritted out. You know, yeah, so that one day you with, can experience, but experience it now. Yeah, because with greater becoming a greater follower and obtaining greater knowledge, you're also going to obtain um, greater privilege within that covenant relationship right. as far as what grace and blessing and listening to the spirit and believing that those will all be elevated right. as well right. as we walk this path, which is so beautiful, available to all but also the degrees elevated according to how you enter in. Right. And according to how well we live that pattern that's taught to us. So with every covenant relationship, as you know, there are, it's a relationship. There's two parts to it. There's, here's God explaining in this list on the left, like, this is what I'm going to do um, for you. And it's just overwhelming as you read it. And we'll get into that in just a second. But on the other side, it's like, oh, here is what some might call the responsibility of that covenant. Um, and we just like to kind of reframe that. Whenever you hear someone say, this is the responsibility of the covenant, this is, we want to say like, this is the pattern of living in that relationship. This or, is what or it this looks is the like. walk yeah. of the covenant. That, right. Don't you want to just be like, this is, this is what it looks like to walk in the covenant. And what might that look like? Yeah, just like I, someone might say to me, you know, like my dad, before I got married, said, this is what it looks like to live as a husband. Let me teach you like the pattern of living as a husband. And let me teach you the pattern of living as a father, mm. you know? And it's just like, this is God saying to them, like, oh, this is what it looks like to be in partnership with me. And this is what it looks like to become a priest and a priestess and to become a minister of righteousness. Like, let yeah. me teach you that. And again, like if somebody doesn't want to live out that pattern of living, that's fine. But then they just wouldn't ever become what that pattern of living would lead to. And we love that in Abraham's story, you get to actually watch him live the walk of the covenant life. We're going to watch it happen. And there are certain things we're going to learn from him that then become really important to how we walk that pattern or that covenant life. Um, if you want these verses, they're not on the journal. So let's give them to you. That responsibility of the covenant, you'll find those laid out in Abraham chapter two, verses six, nine, and 11. 
And essentially, it's just going to say, I, we, I want you to bear this ministry to all the world. I want you to take this, what I've given to you, and now I would like you to then give that to everybody, be a blessing to all nations. That's what you're going to find in those verses. And what does that look like? In this first blank, we have to come out of the world. And this and is going to be fun because we're going to tell you some of our favorite stories from Abraham. So we're going to dive into some of these great Old Testament stories that you are going to love. And there's so much application for our life in each of these. So one, one is he, remember he leaves this land. And again, we're showing, I like what you said that we're showing the way Abraham lived out that charge, you know, and lived out that pattern. And it'll look different because we won't live in tents or do anything. So we'll live out the charge differently. Right. Um, when he said he was supposed to get out of that land, he goes to this, um, they leave and they leave together as a big family. And then they come to like this place that they're going to settle. And in Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 8, there was sort of this fight between um, Lot, his nephew, and all of their herdsmen, and Abraham and all of his herdsmen and stuff like that. Yeah, you and, love in 6 when it's like there's they had so much stuff, they couldn't dwell together. Yeah. They just had too much stuff. <laughs> See, that actually makes me want to be a minimalist so bad. He's like, oh, you're most have more problems. That's what that verse says right there. And he says, Abraham said, you guys, let this is verse eight. It just has a verse I love. He says, let there be no strife between me and you, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. I love this line. For we be brethren. <laughs> verse eight. He's like, did you forget? <laughs> just like how it's translated. <laughs> we be brethren. And he says this, the whole land's before us. And so Abraham actually says to Lot, you choose the land that you would like. You take first pick. Pick whatever land that you would like, and I will take the other spot of land. Yeah, what's left over. And he picks, and we'll get into this more in the next lesson, this land near Sodom and Gomorrah because it was well watered everywhere. And it was just, you know, super luscious and would grow really well. The problem is that it was near this place. And that's where Lot's going to get into trouble next time. But um, he picks this land that's really good because it's really good, but he also kind of picks it because it's close to this city that he's fascinated with. And it's so interesting in verse 12, where it tells us he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And those words are going to become really important in the next thing that we're going to talk about is that not only did he pick the easiest path of least resistance, but he also was like, he could have pitched his tent anywhere, but he was like, Uh, I'm super interested what's going on there. I'm going to pitch my tent. I'm not going to do that, but I just want to watch it happen. And which doesn't it make you think about in your own life how often we're like, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm fascinated by it. So I might follow it on Instagram or I might um, watch that movie or I might listen to that music. Um, You know, that I'll just pitch my tent that way. I'm I'm not going to do it, but I just, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. And what's interesting is, and then maybe you should tell the next story of what happens right after that, you know, to kind of, so we can illustrate this a little bit, why we put that idea of coming out of the world, of pitching your tent toward God instead of toward Sodom and yeah. what position that kind of puts you in if, if you do that. Um, so, and, and it's interesting because I do love, before we do that, let's just talk about, so Adam or Abraham is left with this place that is northward and southward. And I love that the Lord's like, lift up your eyes and look, because I wonder if there was part of him that was like, and what did, what did Sarah say? 
<laughs> Why did you not pick the other lamp? Yeah, where you, I just love when he's like, lift up your eyes. You know what? Like, you get your hopes up, Abraham. Um, for the land, all the land which you see, to you will I give it and to your seed forever. And this is the first hint of this promise that he, and I love when he says in 17, arise, walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it. And I'm going to give it to you. And then there's this moment in 18 where he built this altar. And I love that even though maybe it wasn't the best um, of what he could have had, and and maybe he felt like he was settling. I love that there is almost this moment of gratitude right there where he's like, you know, I love that the Lord's like, lift up your eyes. Like, get up, Abraham, and there's going to be goodness here. Yeah. All of this is yours. Let's see what we can do with yeah. this together. And so they live in that place. And in the meantime, in chapter 14, um, there's this war that comes against the king of Sodom. And the people who come in are going to take everything with them. And it tells us in verse 11, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, and they went their way. And then in verse 12, there is this really important um, thing that we learn. It says this, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. What happened? Don't you want to think about that? Like at what point between chapter 13, verse 12, when he pitched his tent towards Sodom and chapter 14, verse 12, that he moved right in. in to that place. And as always in God's plan, there are going to be consequences to our choices. And the consequence for Lot's earlier choices, right? The path of least resistance, pitching my tent this direction. Actually, I'm going to move in there is that Lot gets captured and he is taken with everyone who is conquered when, when these people come in. And in verse 13, one person escapes and he comes to Abraham who dwelt in the plain, in the plain of Mamre and, and tells him Abraham is gone. And I mean, Lot is gone. And in verse 14, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, and this, this is one of my favorite parts of this story, because I just want to think like if it was me and from the very beginning, do you think Abraham and Sarah were like, well, he chose to live there. He chose to move in, you know, he chose. And now this is the consequence of that choice. They could have just said that, but I love what happens is Abraham, as soon as he hears about his brother being taken captive, he arms his trained servants born in his own house, 318 and he pursues him. And every time I think about this and I think what becomes so tender to me is I think about my ward family. I think about my faith community. And I think that that one lost soul or family, right? Because his wife and um, that one lost soul was worth 318 people going after. Mm. Like 318 people were like, let's go after that family and let's bring them back. And do we respond with that kind of passion um, uh, for that one in our faith community? Are, Are there 318 of us that are like, okay, let's get them to a safer place than maybe they are right now. And and it was worth all the training and yes. all the costs and arming them to rescue that one 
Yes, and he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And I just love the thought that maybe the second thing, so the first thing we learn is that we've got to come out of the world. But the second responsibility as being part of this covenant family is going to be rescue. And that's going to look different for all of us because people are at different places and, and the rescue that might work for one might not be the rescue that might work for someone else. But what I love from the story is that 318 people were invested in one family. Yeah. And um, what comes and I like that. the connection between those two, which is like he lives in a different place, Abram does, and lives his life in a different way so that he can be a rescuer. Mm. Like sometimes we talk about some of the pattern of living as um, burdens to us, but instead they're training. Mm. They're training us to That's become so rescuers good. and to become blessings of other people, right? Yeah. Had he gone and lived in the land of Sodom with Lot, he would not have been in position to rescue Lot from that place. So sometimes we're not living differently so that we can be better or to earn salvation or exaltation. We're living this pattern and in this different way so that we can be rescuers and mm. be a blessing to that, all I of them. I love that so much. And you see that just kind of illustrated at the very end in this third thing. He, he just meets with two different kings. One of them in verse 18 is Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Um, that's probably Jerusalem area, Bible scholars think. That peace, right, is what that word means. That he was the king of this place and he brought bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high gods. So you get hints of sort of mm -hmm. like a, a ordinance here and you get hints of like covenant, covenant, right, and authority that's here. And, he and comes, priesthood, yeah, right, you for sure. Because he's a priest, yeah, yeah, straight up. He just says yeah. he is a priest of the most high God and he blesses Abraham. And he blessed him with the blessings of the most high God, who's the possessor of heaven and earth. And, he, and, and, and Abraham is grateful and, and he offers sacrifice and tithes, you know, um, to Melchizedek, which means he must have some sort of like distributing role, you know, for whatever those tithes are and everything. And so you see here this relationship with, you know, the king of Salem in comparison to this relationship with this other king, the king of Sodom, who actually offers him Abraham because he's like, well, I'm so actually like surprised that you're, thank you for everything you did. Please take some of these, you know, the riches and the treasures that came from the rescue. And he says in verse 23, I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet from that place. Like I want nothing to do with that place at all. What I want is this mm. relationship over here instead. And it's just this idea of making this decision of where are we going to receive our blessings from? Are we going to receive them from those authorized by God to give them? Or are we going to receive these other kind of blessings? And you just see Abraham choosing the blessings of exaltation over the blessings of, you know, the spoils of war. And then we're going to get to my very favorite part. And you guys, we have given you so much information <laughs> and we've learned so much together. But let me tell you, this is the most important part of this lesson. So if you have to take a break and come back tomorrow, come back tomorrow. But don't miss Genesis 15 is about to change your entire life um, and the way that you look at life. So this is my favorite part of this whole story. And here is where we're going to see this concept of 
um, salvation and exaltation become married together. And we are going to really see this covenant of grace in such a beautiful way. Um, this is probably my favorite chapter in Genesis. Um, it is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Old Testament. And I just want to start with right where it starts. So after all this happens, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham in chapter 15, verse one, in a vision. And he says, fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And let me just, before we even dive into this, tell you, I had a conversation many years ago with my cute friend who is a traditional Christian. And she called and said, um, your church talks all the time about this word exaltation, but I don't see it anywhere in Old Testament scripture. And so where, like, I see it everywhere in your language, but where would I see it in scripture that I would be familiar with? And I, it was one of those times where I was like, I'm going to need a couple days to like think it through. And as I was reading, I saw this verse and I read the verse in a way I had never read the verse before because it was so interesting to me. One of the things we know about the Lord, we will see this over and over again. In Old Testament scripture, we saw it last year in the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord will enter a conversation and he will introduce himself as who the person needs. Um, we'll see in Joshua, he'll come as the captain of the host of the army and he's in all of his battle gear. When he talked to Moses, remember he came as this fire in the bush because how is he going to lead Israel as a fire through the wilderness, right? And so when he comes to Abraham, how he introduces himself is, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And because of the conversation I had had with my friend, all of a sudden I read that as two separate promises. I am your shield, right? I am your saving. I am your protection. That's what a shield would do. I am your salvation. But also he tells him, and I am your exceeding great reward. I am all that the father has. I am a fullness, right? I am also your exaltation. I love that in that verse, all of a sudden we see, fear not Abraham, I am your saving and your exaltation. I will be in your life, both of these things. I will help you overcome and I will help you become. And he's about to invite Abraham into that relationship. And, and it really might be that verse right there that makes him think back on all those promises mm. and become a little bit overwhelmed by them and to think, oh my gosh, wow, I remember what you said. I know what you've promised, but I just don't see how you're going to do that with me. And he starts to ask questions. You and you know? love that even like in verse three where he's like, I don't have any children, right? you know, uh, how's this stars and the sands going to work out? Because let me list for you why this isn't going to work. And, um, and I love in verse five, when he says, you look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if you can even number them. And that's what your seed will be. And I love in verse six, when it says, and he believed in the Lord and the Lord counted it unto him for righteousness. And there is this set of scriptures in Romans 4. If you want a great companion study for Genesis 15, 
you want to study Romans 4 in great detail because you are going to learn so many important concepts. But in Romans 4, there is this set of verses that I love so much that describe this moment with Abraham. And it's in Romans 4, 18. And then it's going to describe Abraham in that moment who against hope believed in hope. I'm just going to paraphrase some of my favorite lines in these verses from 18 to 21. This is what it says about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope and being not weak in faith, he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And I love the thought of knowing that, like that's what Abraham knew Mm -hmm. about the Lord in that moment is that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And sometimes I just write those two words down, able also, um, because I think we talk a lot about a God who promises. That's something we talk about all the time. But it's important to remember he is able also of actually performing those yeah. promises in our life. And he's going to talk to Abraham about that. So the Lord well, says... And then that, that word is actually one of the two places where we get the word amen. That he mm. believed that aman is the word in Hebrew. Um, it also means I agree in Greek, but right here, this believing is just like a, it's like a trust fall type word. It's like a, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I am putting this all into your hands because I trust that you are willing and able also to do this. And oh, ever since I learned the Hebrew meaning of that word, like it's my favorite word now in my prayers mm. because I feel like I end my prayers almost like hands out, like I believe. Yes. Here is, here's my offering. Here's my life. And I believe you can do great things mm. with it. That's I don't so know how. Good. I don't know how. how I'm you'll hoping do it. against hope, right? Yeah. But I just believe that you yeah. can. And then it's so funny, like for so many of us, then he goes on to another, like, even though God's like kind of settled that with him, he's like, okay, now my next question is, you said I would inherit this land and I checked on Zillow and people actually own it. Um, I don't know how you're going to do that either. Like that promised land is, is already occupied. He asks a question that I think all of us ask at many times in our life in verse eight. And he says, how shall I know that you're going to, that I'm going to inherit it? Or in other words, how do I know that you're going to fulfill your promises? How do I know you're not going to give up on me? How do I know that I can like really trust my whole life to you. I mean, isn't that the case mm-hmm. when any couple gets married, they're about to promise their whole souls to a person. And they're yeah. like, how do I know you're going to do the same? Like that's scary to enter into this yeah. kind of full commitment relationship, right? That is the question that he asks. And the answer is going to be so weird to you until we tell you what it means. And then beautiful. <laughs> and then beautiful. Oh, you are going to love gonna, it so It's why much. people skip it and you shouldn't. Because he says, the answer is, the question is, how shall I know? And God says in nine, go get a cow that's three years old and a she-goat, three years old, and a ram that's three-year-old, three years old, and a turtle dove and a pigeon. And we hear that and we're like, that's not a good answer. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, how do I know? And he says, go get the animals, you know? But Abraham knows exactly what's happening right here. And what's about to happen here? 
is this experience that was common in Old Testament times called a cutting of the covenant. And we will link an article in the blog if you would like to learn more about this. But that phrase, make a covenant, doesn't exist in Hebrew. They use the phrase to cut a covenant because anytime people entered into a contract or or like a, a business deal or whatever, they would do this thing called cutting the covenant where they would take animals and you see in verse 10, they divided them in the midst. They would cut them in half and they would lay them out on the ground. And then across the, from each other. Yeah, so you like half, half here, half, 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 half here, right? half here. And then what would happen is as part of the ceremony that they would go through to enter into some sort of promise agreement with another person is they would either sometimes walk through the middle of them, sometimes meet in the middle, sometimes in a figure eight pattern. It's just different where different places you read it. But essentially they walk through and what they are saying when they walk through is if I don't keep my end of this promise, may this happen to me. May I be cut in two, right? That's intense. That's a lot more intense than a <laughs> pinky promise, you know, where you're just like, I mean, it's even more intense than cross my yeah. heart, stick and, a needle in my eye. And both people say that, right? That's why both people walk through because I walk through and say, if this, if I make this promise, if I break it, what happened to the animals can happen to me. And you walk through and you say, if I yeah. break my promise, what happened to the animals? What happened to me? And then everybody knows that's the promise. And the- this is kind of where, like, you remember that, like, Book of Mormon is set in Old Testament times. And I don't know if you remember in that story, like, where Nephi breaks into the city and then kills Laban, steals the plates, goes out with Zoram, you know. And then Zoram figures out it's him and he runs away from him because he's like, oh, my gosh, right? Yeah. what you should do. You should <laughs> run away from people like that. And Nephi tackles him and says... Um, as the Lord liveth, which is cutting the covenant language, I, I will not hurt you. And Zoram's like, okay. And he believes him, which you shouldn't do if he <laughs> killed your boss and stole the treasure and kidnapped you, right? But it's like Except this, for the covenant. Yeah, but they had this covenantal concept of mm-hmm. this kind of like, oh, when I make a covenantal promise by these words, it is binding and it means something. So I love what happens next because Abraham does it. He takes all the things the Lord told him to get. He divides them in the midst. He lays every piece against each other. And then something really interesting happens because in verse 11, it says, and when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And he did that all day long. And I love this part of the story because of this. Sometimes there are promises that we are waiting on and we make everything ready for that promise to be fulfilled. And then we might wait and we might chase away all day long, everything that would get in the way of that promise being fulfilled. And I think about Abraham in that hot sun thinking to himself, I, I did what you told me to do and waiting and chasing away everything that could get in the way of that promise happening. And it must have been a long day because in verse 12, it tells us when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and lo and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And I just think about those moments when we are, are waiting on the promise and wondering if it's going to happen and that exhaustion that accompanies that. And, and part of that for me, makes this story even more beautiful because what is going to happen 
is in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, right? In that dark place. For some reason, Abraham wakes up and he looks over to where he has set out what is meant to be his promise, right? With the Lord. And he looks over there and it's dark. And in verse 17, it tells us, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And um, this is my favorite part of the story. Only the Lord walked through. And it's important to think of the significance of that in that moment. Only the Lord walked through, which means... Which would have been surprising to anyone reading this because generally when a covenant relationship was made like this, both people would walk through. Or if it was a king with a servant, just the servant would walk through. And sometimes the king rarely, never would you have just the king walk through the pieces. Right, because in essence, what the Lord was saying in that moment from what we understand is, if I don't keep my end of this promise, I will become as these animals. Or in other words, sometimes I like to say it like this. If I don't keep my end of the promise, I will give my life. I'll cease that. to be gone. And also, because he's the only one who walked through if you don't keep your end of the promise, I will give my life. And it's such a sweet image of what happens. We love what Elder, uh, what Elder, let's make him an Elder, <laughs> <laughs> what Alfred Adersheim teaches about this, because um, he says this in that moment. Then it was that the covenant was made, not as usually by both parties passing between the divided sacrifice, but by Jehovah alone doing so since the covenant was that of grace in which one party alone, God undertook all the obligations while the other received all the benefit. And I love this thought of this covenant of grace because um, when we look at it, it's so hard to think as we think about this covenant path, what if I don't do it right? What if I don't do it well? What if I stumble? What if there's a point where I, I come and go from that covenant obligation? What, what is going to happen if I am not 100% perfect at keeping up my end of the covenant? Mm. And I love that the answer is, then I will give my life to write that. And it's so beautiful in that moment, that thought. And then you start thinking about what we talked about at the beginning, that gracia Christi and that gracia day, that grace that will heal wounds and that grace that will elevate souls, that enabling strength beyond our own that is going to allow us to live within that covenant relationship. And it is so beautiful. And I love that it's set out right here at the very beginning. Grace is introduced yeah, and this grace to help us actually become. Yeah. So anybody overwhelmed by any part of that promise, the promises that God gives, he's just like, I'll give my life to make sure they come to pass. And then the responsibilities or that pattern of living where we feel overwhelmed of not being able to, again, he says, I will give my life so that you can live in this covenant relationship imperfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, for both of those, Jesus through the cross overcame sin and death for us. And Jesus through covenant relationship helps us 
elevates our souls to become something. And there's that verse right there, right after it happens, 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Like he entered into mm. that. And don't you love that as we enter into covenant relationships, it is done in the same way. It is done in the name of mm. Jesus Christ. And it is done often in symbolism of the death and crucifixion yes. of Christ. Of Christ. Yeah. And I love too, that, don't you want to go back to verse one right now and remember who he introduced himself to Abraham as, I am your saving and I am your exaltation. Yeah. I just love that he's like, you, you cannot do this without me. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, okay. Is that, that it? it? We, oh, no. You have to do the bottom. Oh, this is your best this part. This is the most important part. <laughs> okay. 17. If you go to 17, 15, and 16, this is, um, and God said unto Abraham. Oh, I'm sorry. Back up. My bad. First, he says to Abram in verses 5 and 6, um, your name will no more be called Abram but your name shall from now on be Abraham, which is a word that means exalted father. And he says, they're a father of many nations have I made me. Um, that's why we picked for our word mm. exalt, because that's what Abram's name is changed to, is exalted father. He's like, you became something more through this covenant relationship. Right, and, and you became exalted. Right. I love that so much. Right, and Sarah's name, Sarai's name will change to Sarah, which you read those verses a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. that word means princess, queen, royalty. She will now no longer be peasant Sarai. <laughs> she will be queen Sarah is what she will be. And I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations and kings and royals will come from her. And you just see that, that he, the promise and covenant were made and then it was established when he changed their names. Right, you've now become something different than you were. Oh, it's so good, and it's so fun to come back now. Every time you hear that word Abrahamic covenant, and think, I actually watched that happen in a life, and now I know what what I need to do if yeah. that is the promised blessing that I want from this covenant relationship. Yeah. Which is so awesome. To so, become something more. So many good things. Yeah. Here. Okay, y'all. See you next week. <laughs> This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.